This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I am fresh off of BrainShare 2023 in New Orleans, and that did not come out without some collateral damage. I looked down yesterday at my... Just a a bunch of beignets. No, the inside of my leg, and I have a massive bruise from where I got thrown off of an electric bull on Bourbon Street on... uh, Thursday night. So not every idea is a good idea when you're in New Orleans, but it seemed appropriate at the time. But all that to say, we had a great conversation for a couple of days talking about a lot of what's going on with technology and the insurance industry, which is perfect segue for our guest today. We've already had Ron Schroyer on, but we had to, you know, we had to bring in the minor leagues before we could bring in the the major league player here. So our guest today is Anurag Shah, and he is the CEO and founder of Arius Analytics. And you may not know them as Arius Analytics, but I bet you you've heard the name Donna for Agents because that is the product that is out sweeping the independent channel right now. And we're going to talk a lot about how that product is set up to make you as an agency principal and your entire production staff more successful through using what? The buzzword of the decade, AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And so if anybody wants, you know, has this on their radar, this will be a really good episode for you to listen to. And the other thing I'm going to tell you is our friend Frank Sentner is also involved with Anarog and Donna for agents. And if that guy touches anything in SureTech, it's bound to be a wild success. So Anarog, Welcome to Power Producers. Glad to have you on, man. Why don't you take just a couple of minutes and sort of talk a little bit about your background? Because this is like you're not new in doing things inside the insurance industry. It's just you're you're doing your own thing at this point. So talk a little bit about your background and what led you to where you're at with Arius today. Sure. Thanks so much, David and Kyle. Very nice to meet you guys. Appreciate having me here. You know, we've been talking about this in a, it's interesting. You said the most interesting buzzword, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my background, like you asked for. But, you know, a few years back when we started talking about Donna and, and we said we're doing AI and machine learning, and everybody would say, don't use these terms, don't use this agent, <laughs> you, will, you will scare people away, right? You know, to talk to them in a simple language, and thanks to Chat GPT and everything. Today, everybody says, can you please talk about AI and tell us what you're doing on AI? So, well, we were doing the same thing, but now now we are officially calling it AI as well. So I'm glad we've made that uh, progression, right? So that's uh, that's interesting times we live in. I'll tell you what, man, I've said this a couple of times. I'm interested in your take on this, but my personal opinion, and I know that it's still relative to where this thing could end up. We're still very early in in the life cycle of chat GPT. I'm willing to go ahead and say it. If this does what it's going to be capable of doing down the road, this is the biggest shift in technology 
and and use in uh, the ability to gain data and information. Honestly, since the internet itself, in my opinion, this is going to be that transformational for how people use it. And I didn't think that was possible. I mean, we went from having nothing to having horrible dial up where you got kicked off if you were on <laughs> your, you know, if you're on your computer and somebody's trying to call the house. Then they learned how to disable call waiting. And then, you know, we went to uh, DSL and all of the different iterations of the internet and the delivery of internet service has never really quit progressing. You know, the fast speed internet we have now is way different than the CD-ROMs we would get from AOL to install their software. But I don't think anything that's happened is going to have as much impact as what ChatGPT does if it continues down the development course. I think I it's scary seeing- to live yeah, it's scaring everybody though, man. Yeah. Like even Elon Musk and all these guys, you know, they were saying over the weekend that a lot of these technology leaders are freaking out about how this technology is developing almost to the point where it feel like we're living in a sci-fi movie to a certain point. They're afraid that it's going to completely render human beings obsolete because well, of dude, how- I've seen, I keep seeing the stuff on like Instagram or whatever, Facebook, wherever it is of like, you know, chat GPT writing, you know, like medical thesis and stuff like that. And it's like passing with A's. I'm like, dude, you know what? We're- I'm going to tell you what people, I'm going to tell you my new million dollar idea. And I use million dollar idea figuratively, but I shared this at Brainshare last week. And it's something, you know, I always enjoy having people on the podcast because you listen to their stories and what they're doing. And we get the benefit of being able to steal a little bit from so many different people that we interview. But, you know, one of the things Josh Gurley talks about a lot, and he's definitely talked about it on the podcast, is when you go to a trade show, any trade show that you go to, whatever the giveaway is that you use use for your booth to draw attention, to to leave behind, whatever you want to call it, should be something something that a six-year-old would play with. Because that's who ends up getting all of that stuff. You know, you see these people going around to all of these booths and I don't know, I don't, I don't want to rain on your parade, Anarok, but if you're handing out like stress balls or clappers or any of that stuff, people aren't taking that and putting it on their desk. Their kids are getting it as soon as they get home. And so using that thought process, I was in screwing around with both ChatGPT and Dolly a couple of weeks ago, and I decided that I thought it would be a really cool idea to get ChatGPT to write a children's book about an injured worker who had a successful outcome for the worker, the company, and the team because they had a light-duty return-to-work program. And then I went into Dolly, and I used Dolly to create the AI art images that I used to illustrate the book. And I'm going to put that together, and I'm going to mail it out, and I'm going to use it as a marketing drop leave-behind because my theory is that I'm banking on what Gurley says, that if I did this well and the pictures are appealing enough, I'm going to have business owners reading a children's story about return to work program to their kids when they put them to bed at night. And it's going to have my agency name on it. That's amazing. No, that's a, that's an awesome idea. Absolutely. I might. And I, I did nothing. I did nothing. I just did the chat GPT prompts. And I mean, you know, I think the thing that's interesting about it and where I think the agency and yeah, I'm going to throw a little bit of shade at my peer group here, but where I think that the agency community will fall off is because this will make our life much, much better, but it still requires work. And you know this as well as I do, Anurag. It requires learning. You have to teach ChatGPT how it needs to work for you. So at yeah, some point no, down yeah, the road, if I interact with it enough, it's going to become more and more accurate with the things that it produces for me based on the entire history of me using it. But until I get to that point, you know, I use it like Google on steroids. It makes it so much easier than just going to Google and having to search a bunch of articles and things and then reducing those down to main bullet points. I can do that same thing literally with the snap of my fingers and have really good information. And, you know, I think that agents by and large will not want to invest the time to teach it. I think they're just going to want to take, I think what they're looking for is a tool that says, write a blog post about return to work and they get it and they, it spits it out and they paste it up and publish it. That's not how it works, man. And we, we did a boot camp a couple weeks ago and Billy Williams was on and Billy was talking about 
how even when they're using it to produce content or or policies or thing policies and procedures, they run it through probably four or five times. And by the time you modify it that many times, it is pretty unique content at that point. You don't have to worry about getting dinged for plagiarism or anybody else coming in and copying your work unless they just happen to run it through chat GPT the same number of times with the same prompts to get the same response. No, it's, it's absolutely absolutely right what you what you mentioned. And you know, just to add to that, there's a completely if you go to the job portals now, uh, there's a completely new skill that has come up. Uh, it's called prompt engineers. Mm. Right. So, you know, you we have to keep in mind that this whole artificial intelligence chat GPT is still artificial, right? That means you still need a mechanism to be able to ask it the right questions, give it the right prompts. So this whole fear of is it going to take away people's jobs or is it going to replace, is going to help you do, you just have to ask different questions as compared to what you would ask Google or what you would ask. So you have to learn how to use the tool, right? I guarantee you most people are just using chat GPT in the same way they would search on Google. And they are saying, oh, now I'm using chat GPT, but they're actually just doing search. That's not what it is built for. That's not what it is trained for. And it has a lot more things you can do with it than just searching, which you could do on Google anyway. Why would you Why would you need another tool to do it? So you're right. I think the way you ask questions, how do you know what to get the best out of that tool? How do you refine it? There are different stages of refining it. And that's really where this whole you know, technology can really give you kind of things that you've never experienced before. So it's, in my view, it's never going to replace people. It's never going to replace, yes, it's going to change jobs and, you know, skills, and it's going to need different people to learn new things. I mean, uh, my dad learned uh, Word and Excel at age of 50 plus, because that's what was required for him to stay in his job. So, I mean, everybody has to keep, you know, building new skills as, as as we go through so what so that's that's the part of uh, evolution i guess so i don't think that should be worrying anybody and we are not saying it just because we are in that industry but we've seen time and time again i don't think inter internet replaced uh jobs it kind of changed right. the way jobs are run right so it's it's exactly that so it's, yeah i mean yeah, I, I feel would... like the people that are like afraid of it taking away jobs are just like the lazy people like the people yeah. who are unwilling to <laughs> to yeah. learn new skills and do things like well they're the people that are you know probably still advertise in the yellow pages if it even even exists you know but i mean <laughs> that's a really that's an interesting point i never really thought about that before but you're right you know people were talking about how the internet was going to take jobs away just like amazon right everybody's yeah. talking about how amazon takes jobs away i don't know what it's like where you live Anarag, but I can tell you what it's like here in the greater Tampa area. Between here and Orlando, we've probably got a dozen master, I mean, just massive Amazon, either distribution facilities or fleet hubs or whatever else. Those people didn't all work for Amazon. I mean, so you're, I think you're 100% right. There may be some attrition of jobs, yep. but in reality, I think that needs to happen in most businesses anyhow, because as you continue to operate and improve your efficiency, you're just not going to need the same labor that you're going to need, you know, if you're operating more efficiently. So the internet, while it may appear that jobs were being taken away, I don't know that it, it may even have increased the number of jobs available because you had to have people who understand how to, you know, program and operate on the internet. But then with all this e-commerce and everything, you have to have the people to fulfill the orders and deliver and all of those other things. So I think it was more of a just a, a shift in jobs than it was yeah. anything else, to your point. Yeah, I mean, sure, some people would, there'll be some attrition. I mean, sure, we don't have a job requirement for horse carriage drivers anymore, sure. So that's <laughs> uh, that happens, right? But, right. Um, you know, but that's new, new opportunities will create for sure out of this. So, no, absolutely. This is exciting times and, you know, the technology can help way we've been using it i mean we've been constantly enhancing and the more data it you know learns from the better it's going to help most people don't know even and i think we're talking a lot about chat gpt today but it is version four that you're looking at it's been in the works for seven years so it's not new new it's it's been around for seven years it's been new to the media and the world uh in the last few months but 
it's been in the works for seven years, right? So, well, and, you know, or, I think that's another thing that people need to realize. You know, they cut cut it off at a certain point. I don't remember if it was like twenty. I think it was like December of twenty one or something. Like that was the cutoff, and it hasn't started yes. learning anything after that yet. Oh. So you got to be careful with what you get back from mm. it because it may be outdated information too. Exactly. Interesting. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So talk a little bit about yeah. your background, man. What you, you were in the industry with another company. I don't even honestly remember. So I'm asking you for my own edification as much as anything else. Yeah, no. So, you know, from my perspective, my background is I'm an engineer by education, uh, worked with companies like IBM and CBay, and which was a healthcare company. Started my first venture way back in 2001, and we were basically doing software development and what we call as quality assurance for the insurance and the financial services world. So we would basically test other people's software for accuracy, right? So we we build automated tools that so if somebody wrote software and we are talking you know 15 20 years back, so you know the software development cycle itself was not as developed as today where you are going to no code kind of a low code scenarios there was a lot of code written it had a lot of issues and we would automate testing it so that the output is really well tested so we kind of build a whole technology platform around it which would test other people's software right so that was a pretty interesting space i mean we even things did like and without going into specifics even software that went into ATM machines, when you go to an ATM and you click, 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 and here's your money, those are the kind of softwares that we were testing using our, our platform. So even if there's one mistake in, in that, you can imagine the impact of you know something something as critical as that, right? So that's where our background kind of started. We, looked, we started working with large quantities of data. We started working with systems that had to learn from other systems, right? So that's really where our you know original starting was we started working with like most people we started working with the in the insurance specifically in the insurance carriers and agency world by accident you know one of our customers which is still a customer many years back uh, was axa insurance and they said hey this looks cool can you try this for helping us with retention yeah helping us with understanding our customers and he said yeah sure we can try and well a few years later we are doing a lot more from there so that's that's how we kind of got into specifically of what we are doing today and we started building that platform out with some of our carriers in india so that was really where our starting point of aureus was and all the underlying technology we built was for the carriers big carriers um, we work with dozen plus carriers there uh, even today and they were basically having lots of data which was not something that they were able to leverage understand from it get you know any meaningful help without deploying millions of dollars to understand their own data so that's really how we built our first uh, platform when we expanded to the us you know we tried to do something similar and we realized hey the data is not all sitting with the carriers the market was slightly different and i say slightly uh, but it was very different and really the most valuable data from a end consumer perspective was sitting with the agencies right so that's where we started talking to the agencies so while we do work with carriers we also started working with some agencies and we kind of built this donna platform out uh, a little more than three years back now so we basically said this is you know the same platform we've built but can we look at the data from the agency ecosystem starting with AMS but also other systems and can we help the agencies and that's how Donna was Donna was I can probably go talking about it all day but the whole philosophy is look at the data that exists I mean the most valuable asset is the data that everybody has right it's almost like a gold rush for data I mean and we keep going back to Google or chat GPT and that's the reason it is so powerful is because of the volume of data it is learning on right so individually, every agency might think, oh, my data is really little, minimal, not valuable. If you put all of them together, that is really very, very valuable and you could learn from it. So that's really what we are trying to achieve. You know, what ChatGPT is trying to do for all the data in the world, we are trying to do for agency data, right? So we are looking at multiple agencies and learning. 
So you, each, you don't have to kind of wait for your agency to learn everything. Otherwise, you know, you'll never get there. So that's really the underlying philosophy. And we said, what's the most important aspect for an agency? The customer, right? So if you don't know the customer, if you don't know the customer well enough, you will never be able to grow your business. So we build this model, you know, it's a patent pending model, which is called centimeter. It's a play of words, you know, sentiment and meter, uh, which basically tells you how happy or unhappy your customer is without you having to ask them, right? And in the past, somebody would say, oh, without having asked my customer, how do you know what my customer feels? And there is data to help us guide in, in that. So that's really the starting point of saying, hey, we know what your customer is going through in their journey. You've got hundreds or thousands of customers. You can't probably keep track of all of them on your own. And they are not all going to come and give you, you know, feedback forms every day. So how do you know what they're feeling today? How do you know what they were feeling last month, right? It's impossible for you to know manually. That's really where we build this whole algorithm, which is data-driven. So there's data in your organization. We will tell you what they're going through, and then you could act on it. So you can look at retention. You can look at cross-sell. You can identify the right opportunities to engage with your customers. So helping agencies grow their business, but more by understanding their own customers better. That's really the underlying philosophy of, of what we've built, right? And this is probably a long answer to your question, David, on, on background, but that hopefully gives you a perspective of it's all driven through the data and the journey of what we can do with the data that exists. Everybody's looking for more data, more data, but there's, you know, at some point of time, there's a, uh, you know, it's going to have a law of diminishing returns, right? So you have data that you already sit on. Why, why haven't you, you know, taken maximum potential out of that? So that's really where where our platform's really focusing on, and we continue to create layers on on top of it. So I hopefully, you, yeah. Sorry to sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, yeah, Kyle, go ahead. I think you brought up something interesting though, because a lot of times when people send out, you know, like how did we do, or you know, were you satisfied with this? It's like right after the sale, or right after you exactly. leave the. You know, like I got my car serviced last week on Thursday or whatever. Like I barely got home and I got a text message of like, how'd we do, you know, rate us this or that or whatever. And it's, it's very different than if you are taking data from them, you know, without asking that, that question per se, like rate us one to 10, you know, because everybody's at, at, like after the sale, most of the times people are going to be happy. But what happens after the first time that they don't get a certificate sent out, you know, in a timely manner or, you know, a driver, like whatever, whatever the issue is, I think that's important to capture those things too, you know, in real time without having to go and ask them. Because a lot of times, like I get this survey back for my car being service. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell the lady she wasn't a 10. Like, I mean, I'm not going to you know, try to get her in trouble type of thing. So, uh, you know, I think you bring up an interesting point there. And that becomes more accentuated in an industry like ours, where you actually don't talk to your customers every day. Unlike a... Right retail or a banking where you actually have more touch points with the with the customer on a regular basis in our case we don't have that many touch points so it's really hard to get that kind of feedback every time right so that makes it even more mm -hmm. complex and and that kind of leads to saying are we what happens when you're not talking to your customer how what are the you know that's the thing that should be uh, most right. important right well, I think the thing is, too, you know, up until you guys came out with Centimeter, probably the closest thing that we had or what most people would probably try to associate Centimeter with is net promoter score, right? And yeah. so, or a CSAT. So if you go, if you go to NPS, how do you obtain that information? Well, number one, you have to solicit somebody to give it to you. So you're already going to have a massive fall off. In the number of people that aren't even willing to click, right. you know, red, yellow, green, let alone give you more comments involved with that. The other thing is, I think to a certain degree, when people do take the time to do that, it's probably the people that are on both ends of the spectrum. It's yeah. either the people who are really happy with you or the people who really aren't. And they're going to take the time to do that. I think what makes Centimeter really, really cool is that it is measuring that score 
based off of normal interactions. And these people don't even realize that you're giving them or you're extracting the conversation and analyzing it and giving it that score completely unconsciously to them. They, they have no idea that that's happening in the background. And so I would guess that there's probably an argument to be made that it's the most accurate way to get that information because there's really no human bias in how it's given to you. It's, it's given mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment in a normal phone conversation or over email and all compiled in for you to be able to spit out the centimeter score. I never really put a bunch of faith in NPS for that reason. I mean, I can tell you right now, man, the first time a company like with my managed services provider, for example, every time they have a ticket and close it out, there's a, a thing for NPS on there that they want me to answer. I'm going to do it the first time. That's it. Like, I'm just not going to do it unless they have horribly botched something to the point that I want to go on record and say, you really screwed this up. I'm going to give you red in a frowny face, whatever, you know, but I, I just don't think that the average person, I think that we get hit with, I mean, it's almost every interaction at this point, right? Like, are you happy with this app? Are you, I mean, everything we do, you're in real time getting solicited for your opinion. So I think it's really slick that we're not even soliciting for their opinion. We're just gauging exactly how they're talking to us word choice, flexion, all of that to determine what their thoughts are about our company. Yeah, and it's, a, it's the old saying, right? You should always give more importance to not what people say, but what people do. You know, and to Kyle's point, where he didn't, he doesn't want to give a low rating to that lady and get her in trouble when you walk out, and then you walk out and then you cancel your policy. So tell me what's more important, the 10 rating you gave or the, cancel, the cancellation of the policy, right? Because one thing you did was not to harm somebody, but the other thing was what you really wanted to do was to actually walk out and then say, I'm never going back to that store again or never going, not buying anything there again, right? So that's, that's really focusing on what the customer does rather than what they say. And again, we are not saying at any point of time that a CSAT or an NPS is not important. You want to capture it. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to hear from your customers, they should have a mechanism to tell you what it is, but that if that's the only thing you do, then that's certainly not enough, right? So it's important, but not enough. That's that's how we see surveys or any kind of solicited feedback, which is great. I mean, you should capture feedback, but if you're- but I think David's point though is, based on that, is totally right though. I mean, you're going to get the people that respond that had a horrible time. You're going to get the people that respond that you know had a great experience. You're not going to really, the people who were just like, okay, this was cool, you know, no highlight, no no pitfall, yeah. whatever. You're I not going to say get your that. average. Yeah, I would say that your average client, and I mean, I can only obviously speak for our agency, but I could also go back into my career in retail and other places, and I think it applies there too. Your average client is likely happy with your agency. They're just not ecstatic, right? They're not exactly like I would say if you know where I would want to solicit somebody for their opinion is if they just had a bad claim and we got it taken care of in an expedient fa fashion. I would not ask your father-in-law about his claims experience with Lloyd's of London. But uh. that being said, you know, I do think that one of the best times for you to use NPS or something along those lines is anytime there's been an, you know, been something that's happened. Give us a score on our claim service. You know, give us a score on your renewal. How, how satisfied with your renewal? I think that if you pick the right times to ask those things, you probably get a better response and it's going to be around those major types of events. But otherwise, you know, I've seen the numbers, man. I've seen when you talk uh, and give your presentation and all of that. So, you know, my thing is, I just feel like that we miss out on exactly how good we are and, and we could think we're doing things way worse. And then the contrary, you probably have some people that aren't happy but they're not so mad they're ready to leave you but they could be on the verge and those people aren't going to take the time so i just i really feel like it gives you a, a different look in my opinion i suspect a more accurate look as to where everything really is no and that sample bias is very important like right so that what what you guys just mentioned you know only people who are super happy or super annoyed are going to feel that's the sample bias and if, if that's your only sample, then and you're going to build your business 
around our business strategy and outreach around that you're only going to look at people who have responded. You're going to lose out on a big majority. We actually checked with somebody and, you know, some research company. And so for the insurance industry, the response rate for any survey in general is seven to eight percent. Right. That's okay. So you are basically saying 92% of my customers are not in my strategy when I decide what to do. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's really, a huge number, obviously. And I, yeah. I mean, th- that's not necessarily surprising to me, though. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's absolutely, I mean, we've got some very interesting. So at the back end, because we work with so many agencies and we're able to see at an aggregate level, I mean, we saw something, for example, when the centimeter score is about 60, the repeat purchase probability goes up by 2.2 X of average, right? So, or if, for example, if it's below 50, it is 0.5 of the average. So if you want repeat customers, you know exactly where, where you want to be. And if you want to say, hey, my, these are a list of my customers who are below this threshold. I need to do something about it. And then I can, you know, my repeat purchase would be significantly higher than than others, right? So those are the kind of things that we can measure. Uh, and these are real data points that we can we can see from all the agencies we work with, right? Not, not just one agency. So those are, and I shared some of those, um, like I said with David as well, is whether it's repeat purchase, whether it's cancellations, uh, renewals. I mean, we could link all of them directly to, to the centimeter score and show what, and, and yes, it's going to give you some sort of a, at least a goal to say, hey, if they are at 60, if I push them to 70, I'm going to increase my chances of having a repeat business from them and at least double my probability of getting a repeat business. So right? is that like a report that comes out on a whatever weekly day? You know, what's that look like? How, like when people are receiving this feedback, how is it received? Well, it's both. I mean, one is a real time. So you at any point of time, you know exactly where your customers are. And if there's a big drop in a score, you get an alert. Or if there's increase in opportunity, somebody's really happy and there's a cross-sell opportunity, get alert. So there is more real time. And then mm-hmm. for agency owners and, and executives in an agency, these are more at a dashboard level, which say, hey, here is a set of customers who are below this threshold or here are are customers who are sitting on great rounding out cross-sell opportunities, but their centimeters really low, right? Mm-hmm. So those are more at a book level, at an agency level, but also at individual customer level. So for account managers, for producers, you are basically looking at a specific account and you're getting alerts just for those accounts. But at a, at a business level, you want to see your entire book. Mm-hmm. Who are you, where are your most profitable businesses coming from, right? Where are your most repeat businesses coming from, right? So th- those are the kind of things you want to do as, as an agency owner. Got it. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, what led you to get to the point, like, where did Donna come from? Like, what was that moment of epiphany in your mind that had you sit straight up in bed one night and say, you know what, I think I got this thing that I'm going to try? Yeah, I mean... Again, it was not one specific moment, but like I said, when we started deploying our technology, we realized that the data that we really need for a technology like this to really show its strength, show its um, power, that data was lying with the agencies. And we started working with a couple of test agencies and say, if you gave us your data, we will test this and show you how it works. Right. So it was not, I wouldn't say it was like a, something that happened overnight, but what we did realize going out in general to the market is that where does this real data about the customer sit? Where is it? Right. If our goal is to help the business and have a focus on the end consumer, the policyholder, right? If the focus is not just on your own business, but also on the customer, that's really where the value is. So I would say the big moment for us is when we started presenting the first few agencies we were piloting with, and they did some, and the platform was not even fully built out. So we would just run our models and share it and say, oh, we are going to do some random sample. So they would pick any customer and say, okay, let's call this customer. Donna is saying this customer sentiment is really low. Let's call that customer and see if that's true, right? So when we started that, and those gave really accurate feedback, 
right? And they said, yeah, how did you find out? Or why did you just call, right? And like, yes, you are right. I was not happy with my last visit or whatever happened, right? And they were surprised to see that they had no idea that this customer was not happy. Uh, And this was completely random sampling. And that was the time we said, yes, this works. This is what is going to help agencies, you know, improve their business. And this can be a full product and not just an idea or just a, you know, tech project to work on, right? So that's that was really when they tested it, when they, we just gave a sample scores and say, yes, here are scores of your customers according to us. And they did random sampling. That was, that when it really hit, that was the moment where we said, this is not a one-off, this can work, not for one agency, but for everybody. You know, I've been thinking about something else too, since, you know, again, I watched you present in New York. It's the first time I'd seen your slides for probably a year and a half or so. So there was some new stuff in there. But one of the things that was running through my mind that I think, again, is probably fairly accurate, or at least it would be for me, I, you know, I'm sure Kyle's probably going to agree with me, but I got to believe for other producers too, is you have the ability to sit on the agency management system and, and identify all those cross-sell opportunities that are missing, right? Yeah. And where I'm going with this is one of the, one of the places that, depending on what your carrier mix is and who you represent, one of the places they always want to grow is in life insurance. And you could easily go into your commercial book. You could do a report. It's going to show you all of the places where you have the opportunity to cross-sell life, but you haven't. And it's because it's typically a conversation that, for whatever reason, commercial producers perceive to be weird. It's not what they normally talk about. And I don't understand why it's weird to them, because it's probably as important or more important for the protection and perpetuation of a business, especially if you have partners, than any other insurance that's sold. I think that if you can go into an account that's identified as having an opportunity to cross-sell life, and you look over and they've got a really good centimeter score, you're going to have a lot more confidence as a producer picking up the phone to call that person in an effort to offer a life product to them for whatever the reason, whether it be key man, deferred comp, buy, sell, or whatever else. I just think that commercial agents are so uncomfortable talking about life insurance that they look for any excuse at all they can get to not have to make that call. But if you have a score that says, you know what, this person's centimeter score with our agency is an 89, which is really, really good compared to the norm. This should be a layup for you. If you call, Mm -hmm. they've got the relationship. They're at least going to have the conversation. And if you can lay out an intelligent reason why they need to consider what you're talking about, probably get a higher close rate as a result. I don't know if that's the case. I would be interested in, you know, if you have have enough of a data sample to see that where close rates are higher on cross-sell campaigns for accounts with a higher centimeter score. I realize that was convoluted, but that's literally have to be. I have to believe that's the case. And and we've got data points to actually study that. Let me take that thought one step ahead, David. So actually what you said is not just very interesting, but also very accurate is so we actually triage this. So we are saying look at three things. Look at, hey, here's a commercial customer who's likely to buy life insurance, right? So that's one angle. The second angle is, are they happy? So then you're looking at the centimeter score, like you said. But let me also give you a third angle, which is like, are they likely to buy, right? So we are actually, they might be happy. They might be a good potential, but they are not likely to buy. So based on past data and our predictive models, Right, we are saying if you have only ten calls to make, which of the entire list are you going to call to have the maximum impact? So if we gave you that combination, which is really what our focus is, like yes, you can. This customer needs, you know, life insurance. To your example, is happy and is likely to buy. Now show me a list of just those customers. So we are actually taking that probability to a very very high level of that sale happening, right? And then if you looked at your entire book and say, oh, in this three combination, if I have got 500 opportunities sitting, I should do something about this and have a program to run life insurance. It's not a one-off. I really can actually build a whole line mm-hmm. out of it, or I can actually grow that business out of it. Let me talk to some partners, some markets, some carriers to kind of drive this. 
right? So you can actually look at that with the three perspectives of sentiment, you know, pr- probability, the prediction, and the actual opportunity, and and look at all of them. This could be live. This could be workers' comp. This could be, you know, personal lines. I mean, it could be all any of that combination, right? This so I'm going to continue to stay on this for just a second because the other thing. So, like from my perspective, again. If I know that there's a natural apprehension of a commercial producer to initiate a conversation around life insurance with a prospect, I can tell you exactly how I would do this in my agency. I would take that report that you just mentioned that's going to give me the centimeter score, the opportunity for cross-sell, and the probability they'll buy. I'm going to take that list and I'm going to immediately hand that over to my appointment setter and develop a script around it and have him calling around that theme to set appointments for my producers to talk to them about life or whatever the product is. And at that point, in my opinion, the hard part's over because I don't know of any of them that won't sit down and talk about the product when they know they already have the appointment because we all have to go into a new business appointment and have conversation. But I think that it's the piece where they have to talk about it when they're cold calling, you know, in person or over the phone that makes it a little bit weird for them. So now knowing that I have an appointment setter that is literally a hundred percent immune to call reluctance, he doesn't care. He he gets paid to call. That's all he's going to do is call and set appointments. That's an easy way to be booking life appointments for yourself so that you can go out and get to the part you do like, and that is having the actual conversation and solving the problem. Exactly. No, absolutely. And you could you could even do other things like, hey, automatically create them as leads in my CRM and then you know populate them. So you have that. You could say, hey, uh, go get quotes for it. So there are a lot of other forward integrations that you could then automate things around it, or you could then stretch it into a whole campaign that, that you might want to have a more sophisticated and then go back to point that Kyle made earlier so then we can measure close rates and say hey these are customers when we do this this works right or here are customers where it doesn't work so that's where the machine learning models come in because they are also learning constantly so it doesn't mean every time there's a prediction it's it's accurate even if it's not accurate it's learning from it so even if you say hey i predicted this but it didn't happen that's also input and it's learning. So next time it gets more accurate, right? So it's constantly improving from both negative and positive outcomes. I'll tell you the other thing I think that would be really interesting would be to take a snapshot of that same list and look at their centimeter scores before you make the call to try and and book an appointment to talk to them about life insurance and then wait a week after he's had an opportunity to get through the call list and rerun that same list with the centimeter scores to see what the impact was. When you were able to go through yeah. and analyze those phone calls, mm-hmm. did the centimeter score go up because the client was genuinely appreciative that you reached out to them to talk about this? It's something that maybe they've had on the back burner or they just haven't made a priority or whatever. Or did they feel like, you know, did the centimeter score go down because they felt like you're just pushing them trying to sell them another product, you know? Yeah. I think that would also be very, very interesting to to see. And I, I don't know if you have agencies that are doing that or not, but to me, that would make a lot of sense, especially if you're running like a bulk call campaign where you're going to dial a couple of hundred numbers over the course of a week. It would be interesting to see because at least if you're looking at it in real time, like if you're making your calls and then seeing if anything changed from one day to the next, it may be able to show you that there's an issue with your scripting, that you're not getting where you need to be or whatever. And you can make an intelligent decision. Here's the thing, man. If you have data, running an agency is not that difficult. Like if you have if you have business sense, you know, and you can look at a report and know what's wrong based on that report, know what you need to change, that makes your life so much easier. The problem is. So many agencies don't take their data seriously enough to get to the point where they can actually use that data to their advantage to make better decisions on how to run their business for the long haul. I think that's one of the biggest issues. And to be fair to them, there weren't enough sophisticated tools. It needed a lot of complexity to be able to make them work in the past, not anymore. So they have always been, the data has been more about storing it and just retrieving information when you need it and not so much about using the data to act and to do something different with it 
right? Which is changing now because with tools like this now you can do a lot, lot more, which was not possible in the past. So, you know, we understand the reasons why not everybody looks at data in in a in a certain way. Um, and we could also help. You know, we've got something called a data quality report, which can even tell you how good or bad your data is. You know, because that's the common question. Many times somebody would come and tell us, hey, I, I love all this, but my data is not great, right? Okay, you're running your agency on it, right? So obviously it's not that bad, but you it can be better and it can always be better and nobody has perfect data. But here's a report that shows you where you need to improve it, right? So that it can get better, right? So that those are things that that can be of, of help as well. Yeah, this reminds me on a much more detailed and far more capable scale of something that I used to use when I was selling office supplies, like about halfway through my tenure there, um, they came out with like an app for, for Quill. And it was basically where we could pull up customers account info, like while we were sitting in the business and see, you know, things that they had ordered previously, uh, when the last time was that they ordered. So we were, we were supposed to really just kind of like work our territory going, you know, hitting every business on the right side of the road and and coming back and then hitting everything on the left. And, you know, most of that's cold. At least every time you walk in for the first time, it's cold. Like we weren't, you know, reaching out via email or calling them beforehand or anything like that. But once I started, I kind of figured out that I could punch in like a, like a street number and it would pull in the zip code or whatever. And it would pull up anybody with those number, like numbers in their address in my zip code that had ordered from Quill before. So I kind of was like not cheating the system, but I was working more efficiently and just, it was way easier for me to go back and close somebody who had already purchased from us, but it, it had been like over six months. Then we could kind of go back and get paid commission on it. Whereas if they, if they just ordered like three months ago, we weren't going to get paid on it. Cause they were like a, you know, they're, they're already a customer, they're a house account. So I was able to use that to my advantage and, and that, as we've been talking about this, I just kind of was like, wow, that's, um, this is like that, but on steroids. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, I think it's making every step of your sales and customer journey process more efficient, right? So if, if you took each step and make it more efficient than what it is, your overall end result is going to be significantly more, more efficient. So exactly to your example, you know, you took one specific part of the process and you made it smarter, not necessarily game the system, but you captured what works best for you and mm -hmm. made it more efficient, right? So if you can even improve efficiency in few of your steps in the entire sales process or your, you know, customer retention process, yep. you've increased the efficiency of the overall business. So you're at a point now, man, where you guys are growing. Like, I know you've got... A few team members that are visible, you know, visible. I'm sure you have plenty that are not visible yeah. uh, that you're using these developers and everything else. But it seems like you're at a point now where the word's starting to get out. I think people are becoming more and more open to considering options to make their lives easier. I have to believe initially that there was probably some reluctance, not just from the agents, but also from the management systems to be able to uh, give you the access that you need. But it feels like to me, they have become more and more comfortable with the idea. And it's not limited to you. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you're aware of Meet Leo and what they're able to do because Frank's also involved with them. But I mean, that's really a pretty cool product as well. We had their C their CEO on, and you know, they I can't imagine that if I'm using Leo, which we are, and using Donna, that like literally it's almost like it's cheating, man, because you can have Leo tell you those prospects that are gonna be your ideal client based off of the data your AMS tells it, and it's gonna match that up to the 40 million leads in their database and then spit out a prospect list for you to call. And then Donna's telling you basically the same thing, except for your existing book. It's scouring that existing book and showing you where you have opportunities. I don't remember the exact numbers in the example that you gave when we were at InsureTech New York. I just remember it was like mind-blowing that we had X, no X amount of revenue on the books, but there was like three times what we had on the books that was available in cross-selling opportunities. Now, probably not going to see that in our agency as much 
because we either represent you or we don't. We don't really split accounts with other agencies who can maybe get a better deal on one line of coverage or whatever. So that part, I don't think you would see as much of an opportunity, you know, from a from a cross sell standpoint, except things like life insurance, right? If we're missing something, it's going to be the same trend across our entire book of business in the agency. Opportunities to sell more life, opportunities to sell more umbrella, opportunities to sell more. I, I, we do a good job in cyber, but I still think there's plenty of opportunity to grow there. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm really excited about is now you've got you know one tool that helps you with the, the maximizing how you operate efficiently with prospects and then another one on the complete other side of the table where you're doing the same with your clients. Like with that kind of information at your fingertips, I just don't know how agencies would struggle to put revenue on the top line because it's basically being your your entire roadmaps being spoon fed to you. Yeah, and and I think whether you call it automation or intelligence or whatever you name you want to give it, right? You are essentially creating better, optimal, efficient ways to make your business smoother. Uh, instead of having to call a thousand customers, if I told you you get the same result by calling a hundred customers, would you not do it? Mm-hmm. Whether you use technology A or B, does I mean that's that's next. And second, most important in my mind is is it constantly improving over time? Right. So if it's if it's saying yes, if you call this hundred, it's great. Tomorrow is it saying now you have to call only ninety, day after only eighty, right? Those so you're, it's making you more and more efficient over time. You know now, like you said, in your case, it might be life insurance. In some other agency, it might be some other line of business. Everybody has different ways in which they operate their agency. So yeah, I mean, initially we definitely saw reluctance. We would have questions like, oh, this is too complex for me, or we are not ready for something like this. Um, my data is not good enough for running something like this, or my AMS doesn't allow it uh, to integrate something like this. We, we've seen all of those different uh, kinds of questions initially, and obviously things have been changing quite a bit now. We are integrated into almost every AMS system obviously everyone has a different level of you know the quality of integration um so it does vary from ams to ams but that's that's the starting point and then from there on you know everything else is pretty much standardized so some ams systems we can go live in like 3 or 4 days of you know going and implementing it and some take a couple of weeks but doesn't matter once you're live then it's basically refreshing everything each night so to that extent you know it's getting better people are now also looking at saying hey the other ages some early adopters did this now maybe we should also try something like this so we are seeing definitely uh, we are seeing some carriers adopt to it we are seeing some networks and associations recommending it so we are seeing everybody kind of coming together Um, so slowly it's getting better and better you're right the words getting out and those who are you know getting benefited from it are obviously seeing big big wins uh, out of that happen so yes the word is definitely but we we have we've seen simple arguments or pushbacks like those and we've seen some very funny ones as well right so somebody will say my my team doesn't agree to use it i love it but my team doesn't agree to use it you know who's running that- who's running your team i mean <laughs> What Why do this? they have a choice? <laughs> That's I, my I have a small anecdote story, and this probably dates me as well. I mean, <laughs> many, many years back, you know, there was a bank in India. They basically brought in computers in their entire branch to automate the bank. And the entire staff went on strike saying, you need to pay us more if you want us to use computers. Right. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion, boss, but uh, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because initially they thought this is all going to replace us. This is going to make us redundant. We don't need this. Well, you can't imagine a, a bank without any computers anymore, obviously. Right. So that's, and we've seen that as well, right? So we've seen all interesting types of pushbacks or, you know, issues, but it's changing over time. So I know you have Ron um, that's heading up sales for you when he's not in the gym doing like tons of curls. Or golfing. Yeah, you know, I don't. I didn't know he even played golf. I thought he was too muscle bound. Um, but uh, you've got Ron and you've got Thomas. 
how do they get a hold of you, man? As we get ready to wrap this thing up, what's the best way for them to reach out and get a demo? And I would encourage anybody listening to this. Listen, I'm the first person to tell you to avoid shiny object syndrome, right? And by shiny object, I mean like a bass lure. One minute it's in the water, the next minute it's not. This is not one of those fly-by-night technologies. These guys have been on the scene for a number of years now. Their product is continuing to get built out, continuing to get better. And I can tell you, if you want to be nosy and go to the website and look at the pricing, you're going to find pretty quickly that the pricing is extremely reasonable for what you, what it does for you, right? Relative to how much you can, how much up premium you can get in your agency as a result of using those analytics. So I would encourage everybody, whatever Anarok tells you as far as the best way to get into their ecosystem, reach out. This is something everybody needs to see, I promise you, because it makes your life a lot easier. All of the number crunching and the headaches and wondering you know, why you're behind plan and all of this stuff, I'm not telling you that it's going to fix it because you still got to go out and sell and get deals done in order to to bring that revenue in. What they do is they put you on the short path and they give you a well-defined roadmap for you to get there. So who do you want them to reach out to? What's the best way for them to learn more and, and get on your calendar? Yeah, I mean, we basically, like we should as a tech company, it's fully automated. So if you go to donnaforagents.com and fill out your name and detail and we'll give you a demo, there's a video on it. We also have a very nice, so just to add to your point on pricing, we realize that what we are doing is not selling software we are basically helping you build a better business so our pricing is actually linked to your business and not to the number of seats not to number of people so everybody gets unlimited seats right so you can give it to your every team member who works in an agency and we've got an roi calculator that says even if you implemented only 10 recommendations that donna gave you and you were successful this is your ROI. Or if you implemented 20 recommendations, you get your ROI. So you can measure that very easily that the money you spend uh, will be paid back only if you implemented X number of recommendations you got. And everything from there on will be net positive to your, your business. So the pricing is linked to your size of your book and your agency and nothing to do with the number of users. So you've got VAs, you've got teams spread out, give it to everybody. It doesn't, doesn't matter. We are now also launching in mobile apps. If you want your people to get alerts, hey, this customer is not happy, centimeter drop. Here's a new cross-sell. They can get it on their phone as well. So that's coming up pretty soon as well. So that's, so, you know, donnaforagents.com. That's the website. Fill out a form. We'll reach out any any one of us. And like you said, yeah, we few of us here are the face, but we've got a team of engineers and PhDs and data science guys working in the back building all of these complex models that you probably don't want to spend too much time with them uh but they are doing some incredible job uh building all of this in the back there's a yeah there's a reason they do that job and i do this job yeah <laughs> <laughs> well listen man i want to thank you for coming on i really appreciate it you know we've we've been going right around an hour at this point we shot the breeze for a while before we started recording but i can't stress enough people this is one of those deals where you can either get on the bandwagon and, and start using this to drive change in your agency in, in a positive way, or you can let other people who are early adopters get on board and you're going to look back wondering why they're now writing some of your accounts. And it's because they know how to intelligently go about doing this stuff. So, you know, we talk about adopters, adapters, and do nothings. The adopters are the people that are already using Donna. They they were in right out of the box. Chris Paradiso probably being front and center. And from him, you know, from there you have adapters. That's where we're at right now. You've heard about it. You know that it's got a good case, uh, use case, and that there are a lot of successful agencies that are out there using this product. And you still have time to get in and adapt. And then there's the do nothings. And well. They don't they don't fare so well at the end of the story. So you can keep doing what you're doing and you're probably gonna be okay treading water. But if I'm gonna try and, and get from point A to point B, I wanna swim. I don't wanna tread. So with that, we're gonna leave you Donna for agents.com. They do have a very robust website. There is no mystery on there. You can learn pricing, you can learn everything else, but I highly encourage you to check that out and make sure you schedule a demo. These guys are not high pressure salespeople. 
It's a very consultative process. It will sell itself to you. So check it out and make sure you let them know that we sent you. Everybody have a great week. We'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.